its oldest fantasy. Across a sea of stars, look up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's a duck. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait You Haven't Seen, and it's a show where we talk about movies, and specifically, we talk about a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis. This is episode number 204, and our movie this week was 1986's Howard the Duck. Joining me to talk about it, he hadn't seen it before, from the Across the Stars and Attitude Era Wrestling Review Podcast, it's Drew. Drew, how are you? Ah, well, wishing that I still hadn't seen this. Honestly, haha! <laughs> oh, I'm I'm very angry with you, Travis. Ah, uh, you made me watch. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> I'm just gonna so, get it right. So you hadn't seen this before, but but <laughs> oh no, no, definitely. But what what was your history with Howard the Duck prior to watching it? How much did you actually know, or did you just know it was a big bomb? I well, I watched. I had quote unquote seen this when I was like six or seven. So like 32 years ago, I, all I can remember of it is there was a duck and the mom from back to the future was in it. That's all I remembered. Nothing else. (laughs) The ever, this was all new, basically new to me. I mean, I hadn't seen this. It's, I doubt if when I was seven, I pull my, head out of my little car collection long enough to actually watch any of this because I remember nothing. <laughs> you were, you, so you were present while it was playing. Pretty much, uh, yeah. But probably didn't actually watch no. it. No. Okay. Um, were you aware uh, that it was a based on a Marvel comic? Yes, I was aware of that. Um, I love my... Okay. I actually love some comics and I've never actually read the Howard the Duck comic book and it's got to be better than this. So, yeah, so Howard the Duck, I saw this when I was a kid. Um, It wasn't in theaters, but it was not long after on home video. I remember watching it. Um, And I've seen it a couple of times since then, uh, including today. And um, I didn't, as a kid, know anything about it whatsoever. Uh, I had no idea that it was based on a comic um, or, or any of that. But Howard the Duck was a was a comic got started in the mid seventies, uh, I think it was like nineteen seventy three. But it started off. He ended up getting his own uh, run of comics for a little while. He's been in part of Marvel uh, ever since and has made a couple of cameos in the MCU. If you've uh, stayed around for the after credit sequences of, um, the Guardians of the Galaxies movie, uh, he pops up in there. But the. Uh, the writers of this, um, Willard Hyuk and his wife, Gloria Katz, who also uh, were friends with George Lucas, and they wanted to make this movie, and George Lucas wanted to make uh, Howard the Duck. He thought it was a, would be a fun uh, product or project to, to make uh, a, lot, a film out of. And initially they wanted to do it uh, animated, which makes sense with Howard the Duck and the comic base and all of that. Um, it ended up being that, uh, Universal Pictures bought the rights and wanted to do like a summer movie. And that's why we ended up with 
a live action one. Um, but I guess my first question is, though, I, we can pretty much establish you didn't like the movie. Yes. Wholeheartedly didn't establish that one. Okay. <laughs> it does, but it's one of those um, movies that I don't like. Sorry. Go ahead. It's one of those movies I don't like, but no, no, no. there are a few redeeming qualities to this movie. So I'm not going to completely say, oh, it's the worst thing I've ever had to sit through because I've seen Grease and Grease 2. So I'm not going <laughs> to lambast everything about it. There are some no, very like, good things about it, but there's just some absolute garbage in this movie. <laughs> in my humble opinion. So I kind of want to... No, no, I'm I'm with you. I kind of want to go over a lot of that. Um because there I do I agree with you there are things about this movie that work and there are things that don't I was having a conversation earlier today with a friend of mine who's like oh I've never seen that and I'm like well I don't think it deserves all of the hate that it gets but that doesn't mean it's good like it's not a good movie but if you look it up on something like Rotten Tomatoes the tomato meter aggregate score is like 14% and I'm sorry but it's not that bad um, it's certainly watchable. You can sit through it, and when you're done, you're like, well, I watched a movie, um, but it wasn't all that great. I have watched truly unwatchable things, and this is nowhere near that. There's like, there's ability here in terms of filmmaking. You can kind of tell that the screenwriters at least know how to write a story um, because, again, Willard Hyuk and Gloria Katz, uh, husband and wife team that wrote this, also wrote um, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, and Willard was a script. He helped punch up the script, I think, or consult on the script for um, a couple of the Star Wars movies. And so it wasn't like they didn't know what they were doing at all, but this was only his fourth film he ever directed, and it was the last film he ever directed. <laughs> so kind of tanked his career. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. There... The direction of this, I think, is... I don't know if it's the whole problem or... I mean, if I can just go ahead and get out of the way. My big problem with this one, and it's only the only movie I think that I can claim mm -hmm. this of it, Leah Thompson phoned this in from the get-go. Her acting was absolutely atrocious to me in this movie. Like, she had one scene that I actually... It's funny because she's one of the few things that's praised about it. Wow, really? Because I think she's wooden-like and just phoning it in. And there's one scene throughout the whole movie where I actually believe that she's what she's trying to do is what she's saying. And that's the movie where she's trying to seduce a duck. I, ironically, that's the only part <laughs> that I think is believable of her entire performance. So, okay. Um, I mean... The performances in general are typically the thing that most people come away with. Like, well, at least those were decent. Um, so I didn't hate Leah Thompson in this, but I look at her in this era, like her as Lorraine, not that different other than the era that she's in. It's 30 years earlier, but she's playing a, a very similar character in my mind. So that didn't, that didn't bother me a whole lot. Um, this is early in Tim Robbins' career. Tim Robbins is in this, and he uh, he is having fun. 
Yes. You can't say that he's not. He is definitely going for it. Yeah, he understood the assignment when they said, this is Howard the Duck, and he's like, you know what? I'm all in on just being the absolute insane goofball. And he nailed it, really. He's with a, probably the best actor in this movie, other than maybe the Dark Overlord. I cannot think of his name. The principal from Ferris Bueller. Don't have the... Jeffrey Jones. Jeffrey Jones. I was wanting to say Jeffrey Rush, and I'm like, no, that's Barbosa. But yeah, Jeffrey Jones. Now him, <laughs> he's another one that he's like, you know what? We're full on 80s B-movie camp, and I am right here for it. And But yeah, I just didn't buy Leah Thompson. Well, I think part of it too, like when you take those three performances in this movie... The two guys, both Tim Robbins and Jeffrey Jones, are going so over the top and so crazy with what they're doing. Robbins is just this manic, like, he's he's all over the place. And for some reason, and I hadn't watched this movie in a few years. It had been quite a while, actually. And for some reason, I had it in the back of my head while I was watching it. I kept thinking, no, something happens with Tim Robbins and, like, he's ultimately the bad guy somehow. And I don't know why I was thinking that. Uh, while I was watching it this time. Like, I had some memory of that, um, which clearly didn't happen. But, like, both of them get to just go so over the top. Like, Jeffrey Jones did uh, most of that vocal performance as he's becoming the Dark Overlord. Oh, wow. Is him. Um, I guess there was there was some tweaks with, um, with the audio, but overall he was doing that voice um, to be that character. And, I mean, that was his style. He's very much a character actor. Um, yeah, you know, it's unfortunate that some, some stuff happened with him in the early two thousands, um, outside of acting and his career basically fell apart because as a talent, as a screen presence, I really liked him. Yeah. Um, and, and he's very memorable. I mean, not just, everybody remembers him as principal Rooney. Uh, if you've seen Ferris Bueller's day off, you remember him as that. But I, I also enjoyed his performances and things like, Mom and Dad Save the World, Stay Tuned, um, Ravenous is a movie that I personally really like that he's in, and I think he's really good in it. Um, but this was just such a weird, like goofy, over-the-top character that he could play. Um, that's a lot of fun. And I think by comparison, then, Leah Thompson does look very wooden next to them because she's not playing an outlandish character. She's playing very straightforward, um, you know, kind of down on her luck wannabe rock star. Um, so I wonder how much of that is like the just, you know, by proxy. Like her performance isn't necessarily bad, but it looks so flat comparatively because you're in a movie with a three, and a, you know, a three foot tall walking, talking duck. And you've got a guy turning into some sort of alien creature. And then Tim Robbins doing, I don't know what half the time <laughs> that, I can see where uh, where she can come off as being very uh, very wooden and very boring. I didn't hate it, um, I, but I, I like Leah Thompson quite a bit. Um, it is funny though that you bring up that the most believable scene for her is where she's trying to seduce the duck, because that's not a sentence I think you thought you were going to be saying when you woke up this morning. No, it absolutely was not. <laughs> I will totally agree with that one, <laughs> but she. That one, that scene to me, she just full on. She said, "You know what? I'm here for it. Let's just all in go for it." And that I believe. But anytime she's just talking to Howard, it's 
just to, I don't know, just not believable, especially toward the end when she's supposed to be in danger. No, I don't, I don't, like, again, maybe it was a directing choice. He didn't exactly know how to get that out of her, but it just did not come across as any type of believable to me. One thing I will say um, that this movie goes against this movie uh, and is is a tough thing for it is tonally it is very um, inconsistent. Like it's basically it's all it almost feels like two different movies um, because the co- the comic of Howard the Duck was a, l- a lot more satire and Howard is a little more um, he's more like a Deadpool kind of of his era and he's a little more wisecracking. He's a little more kind of sarcastic and rude. Um, and I feel like they played that down in the movie and made him maybe a little more, I guess, quote unquote likable, which I understand, but I think hurt the movie in the long run, uh, to, to do that to the character. And then on top of that, you sort of have like, did it feel to you like you were watching sort of one movie and then in the third act it became something different? Uh, much, much earlier because here's my story with this movie. Now, I was going to watch this last okay. night. I was going to watch this last night. Me and the wife got on the couch, and after about the first 25 minutes, I fell asleep. Not going to lie. But I had been up since four and, had, <laughs> and been at work all day, so I came home, and I was just tired, and I fell asleep. Not That's nothing against the movie. And... She watched it, and we got through parts of it, and we talked about it this morning, and she didn't want to really finish it. But I was, we both said, you know, I had to go into the recording studio here to watch it because, you know, not really for kids. I mean, we're seeing, you know, it's duck boobs, but whatever. I have an 11, 7-year-old girl, so let's give him a reference here. Um, he's working at mm-hmm. some kind of sex parlor. Uh, she tries to seduce a duck, and then all that just kind of goes away and it turns into slapstick comedy with just a little bit of language. So I don't know. That just was really weird to me. Like if, if they would have just kept it one Mm. way, the whole movie, I think it would have been a better movie. If you're going to give me a raunchy, you know, R rated comedy, do that. But they kind of pulled back on it from the beginning and got a completely different movie for the, Excuse me for the rest. Yeah, it it did feel that way. Like the first the first part of the movie. Okay, you mentioned the duck boobs. That's a that's a thing that this movie was rated PG, um, and it's early days of the PG thirteen rating. However, uh, it's still pretty impressive that they managed to put in duck boobs uh, in a um, with nipples in a PG film. Um, yeah, but the, the, like the first half of the movie is this interesting little origin thing where, you know, he's very, uh, duck out of water, right? Fish out of water story. Um, he ends up in Cleveland and, uh, it, it just kind of goes in that direction for a little while. And then it feels like they start that third act right around the, I guess it's not quite the third act. It's about halfway through when uh, Dr. Jennings goes back and tries to run the experiment the second time and they have the, the explosion and he gets the, the dark overlord, you know, inside him. It starts going very like 
special effects heavy and bringing in kind of horror elements a little bit to it as well. And so now it's like, it's, it's never four kids throughout the whole thing, but it never, it like, it, it varies why the first half of it is very, you know, is much more rude humor. And to your point, kind of that R rated comedy sort of like if they had gone the direction of say Ted like that, I think it could have worked throughout. Like, lean into that if you're going to go that Yeah, route. I think it would have been a better movie um, if they would have done that. I really do. I I, I agree with that. Um, and then, of course, they go to sort of the more kind of... I mean, because, look, what happens with Dr. Jennings, with Jeffrey Jones' character, visually, freaked me out as a kid. I'm not going to lie. Like, that that's, was scary stuff because that was good practical effect makeup um meant to look silly and over the top but so and so simple but simply it's done. also really so simply done and mm-hmm. so effective oh, i mean that's just latex that they kind of just pulled off a little bit with some sweat and pull his hair make it look crazy and it was just so simple but so effective it just shows what you could do i'm one of those people that i hate movies that do that could do simple practical effects but choose to do it with com- with computer graphics and i just think ever there's never going to be yeah, a practical effect look worse than a cg effect if if you can do it i am i am currently of the mind where i mostly agree with that um however i think that we have reached a point now where good films and filmmakers are not using CG as a crutch, but they're extending what they can do with practical effects. So they're able to, if it's something that can be done with a practical effect, they will try and do at least part of it and then augment it and expand it with something CG. If it's something you you like, you're not going to make Mark Ruffalo Eight and a half feet tall, smoking grass, and weighing six hundred pounds, and be the Hulk. You're just not. But they can, so they're going to have to fully CG that. However, if you can have, uh, you know, Tony Stark in his Iron Man suit, but his helmet off, and you can animate parts or most of the suit while still getting a good performance out of uh, Robert Downey Jr., then you do that. So. I'm with you in that a fully CG thing can never quite replicate what's real, tangible in our world just because of like there's some uncanny valley going on there, but it's gotten so much better. Yes. I will say that. My my main one that I point at is the Mandalorian, Grogu, Baby Yoda, whatever you want to call him, because they were originally mm-hmm. going to do that just all CG, and they said, well, we'll try it with the puppet and see if it works, and if that thing's CG... Yeah. In any way, shape, or form, I don't think we have the connection to that thing that we have as something that we can tell is actually real. And yes, they can do it and make it look very, very well. I am not going to pull that away from But I think that your mind at a point knows, oh, that's just computer. It's not really real compared to that wonderful puppetry, which makes me think is real. And that's another thing I'm going to bring up, if I can segue to that right now. Howard the Duck, that puppetry is absolutely amazing. That whole outfit, costume, puppetry on the the mouth and the eyes and the feathers, 
absolutely wonderful in this mm-hmm. movie. I have zero complaints about that duck. He looked as real as you're going to get in 1986. Yep. Yes. For the time. So initially, because George Lucas produced this and he wanted, um, he got ILM to work on it. And uh, he initially wanted to do a fully rendered character, which just wasn't going to be in the cards at the time. Yeah. So that's how long ago he was trying to do fully CG characters, Um, which... And I'd have to look and see when it was released, but the first ever fully CG character in a film was right around this time. Um, it was in Young Sherlock Holmes. They had a, uh, and it's it's not for very long, but there's a character made out of a stained glass window um, that's like a knight from a stained glass window in a church that comes to life, uh, which was 85. So it was actually the year before this movie came out so it wasn't unprecedented to do that but there's no way you were going to make it look believable at the time um so it was very much the only way to do it was going to be practical um howard himself so this was kind of cool uh initially it was going to be a child in the suit um because they couldn't do a fully animatronic puppet uh they just they needed the movement of somebody in a suit so they initially had cast a child actor to wear the suit and um, do a lot of the scenes, but the kid, di- it didn't work out. And so um, they ended up going with Ed Gale, who uh, had worked on a bunch of stuff uh, prior to this. And he, um, he initially was, was passed over for the role for being a little bit too tall. He's a little person actor, um, but he was a little bit too tall. They ended up going with him anyway. Um, and so he, but there's like five other stunt performers and things that were inside the suit, uh, at various points, but he got the, the main, um, the main one he had been in, uh, he was in space balls the next year. Uh, Oh brother, where art thou? He's been in, um, he's, he's done a, a bunch of stuff. Um, but then the voice, now here's the fun thing. Um, the voice of Howard, the duck was not cast until after they filmed everything. Hmm. And you want to know who was originally cast uh, to be the voice? Uh, um, I I didn't read any of the trivia or anything. I probably should have. Um, Mark Hamill. <laughs> no, uh, Robin Williams. Oh, was that would have. Oh, that would have been great. But now here's here's what happened. So Robin Williams was cast. And because they had shot everything already on the stage, uh, uh, you know, all the shooting was done. And when they were filming it, you couldn't, uh, Ed Gale couldn't really talk while wearing that mask because you just couldn't hear him. So they had one of the puppeteers had a microphone and they had a speaker in, in there and the, the puppeteer would deliver Howard's lines so that they could puppeteer the mouth to them. But, and so that the actors had something to, to work against. However, he was doing, you know, just very bland, dry readings of the lines. So then Robin Williams made it a week in record in trying to record, but he just got too frustrated. He couldn't work within those con- confines because his, I mean, obviously it's Robin Williams and his style is so just crazy manic improvisational. Yeah. You can't give him a script. He couldn't match up what they were trying to do. Yeah. No. And you know, no, you really can't. And you know, that and might. So he, he ended up not doing it. 
sorry, that might explain a little bit of why I think maybe Leah Thompson was so, you know, just bad. Maybe it's because she didn't have any real other actor to play off of. The whole, the new modern CGI, you have to act toward a tennis ball syndrome. Maybe, maybe that had something to do with it. But yeah, yeah which definitely plays into it. I mean, that's why you're seeing a lot more of the motion capture, even for like Rocket Raccoon being mocapped by uh, James Gunn's brother, Sean, um, where he's definitely not a three foot tall person, <laughs> but he can do the motion capture and they can work with that. Um, so you've got something other than just a tennis ball and a stick. Yeah. And you've got but I thought that was very interesting that. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. And I was going to say Josh Brolin with a three-foot stick with Thanos's face on top of it. <laughs> I always thought those behind-the-scenes scenes with yeah. shots were hilarious. <laughs> oh, that stuff is that stuff is amazing to to see. But I just I thought it was really fun to see that uh Robin Williams was originally cast and then he just he's like, "No, nope, I can't do this." So they uh ended up casting a guy named Chip Zine or Zine um who didn't have a whole lot of acting credits at that time. Um, but they liked his nasally voice for Howard. Um, and I thought he was fine. If, here's one thing, though. Tell me he didn't sound like Steve Buscemi. Yes, uh, I actually thought that. Just Steve Buscemi doing <laughs> different inflections. Yeah, it's very, very similar voice. Um, but uh, obviously Buscemi is a little bit young, I think, to be in this movie. At the time, however, um, you know, it could have been, but yeah, that's so that's how he ended up getting cast, and uh, and he did all of the voice work for Howard. Um, but it's weird to do now if this were animated, you do all the voice work first, and then you animate to the voices. That's how you can have Robin Williams as the genie because he can just go nuts, and then you've got you know miles and miles of tape that you can sift through and, and make your movie out of. Um, but it's it's interesting to go in the reverse order for a voice actor. It's got a, it's a lot tougher, which is why I think there are times in this where Howard's cadence feels weird. Did the, did you notice any of that? Did it ever seem like Howard almost had to do a little bit of Shatner pausing yes. at points or like anything like that? Yes, I did notice that, especially in spots where it wasn't like a long sequence of him talking and it was a quick back and forth. Either he would have to say it really fast or he would say something kind of slowed down and say it really fast again. I I did pick up on that. Yeah. And that probably yeah. has a lot to do with it. And I mean, saying. that's just probably a byproduct. Yeah. It's a byproduct of having to, because I've done post recording before and, um, it's tough to match up sometimes. And look, I, I understand a lot of, movie dialogue is is ADR looped. Um, more dialogue is looped after the fact than you realize. Um, or they'll take bits from different cuts and cut them together in the editing. Uh, but it's got to be tough when you have to match mouth movements of someone that's not you. Like, it's one thing when it's an actor that has to go into the booth and re-record some of their dialogue, um, and it's them that they're recording over and so they're they're able to kind of remember how they did it. That's a lot easier to do. This is like somebody's got to match the bill movements of the duck puppet. And 
they weren't the one delivering the lines in the first place. It's just, it's amazing how sometimes how some of this stuff gets done. Um, but yeah, to your point, uh, going back to the, the suit itself and sort of the costume, it was really good. Um, I thought it, it, they really pulled off that look. My only, my only thing was, and it's a suspension of disbelief. Where do you get all the clothes? Because for the first half of the movie, he was changing clothes like every scene. He shoplifted at the little tyke section at Goodwill. <laughs> I guess I guess a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he took a lot of stuff. I, that, that cracked me up. There is that first half of the movie. I think if that were the whole movie, could have been... Like, pick one or the other, obviously, for the in terms of like the tone. But that first half of the movie, you have to suspend a lot of disbelief because most of the people in Cleveland reacting really calmly to a three-foot-tall talking duck. Yeah, and if that happened today, especially where I live, he would already have a rear end full of buckshot. <laughs> See, like even that, that was a joke that they, they made once, and then they, they did do a callback to it, but the whole duck season, and like when he walks up on the on um you know the department store and it's got all the TVs in the window which I have never lived in a place that has had that I see it in all movies all the time oh it's a you know the the store that's got a bunch of TVs facing the street yeah it's a movie trope but I have one question about that how are they standing on the street and how are mm-hmm. they hearing the TV like it was no glass in between them <laughs> were all those TVs turned up really loud yep again that's yeah that's that movie trope I I never get tired of it for some reason. Like you can hear all those TVs through the window and they're all, uh, and of course it's the, the T the movie trope of everything that's playing on there is perfectly timed to be exactly what needs to be seen for that scene to work. Um, which is, you know, that's a great, like I want that movie superpower to just always turn on a TV and have it be the exact thing. Like if I, if I need it, you know, I need money for something and I turn on a TV and it's, it's exactly the uh, promotion for the contest to win precisely the amount of money that I need uh, for this thing. Like, I want that superpower. But I just love that scene because he comes up to it and it's about duck hunting. And they're, they're doing a bunch of talk about duck hunting in Cleveland, um, which, again, <laughs> you're not doing a lot of duck hunting in the city, but sure. Oh, Yeah. Um, I'm just gonna go find a but it was machine. it was just such a great uh, a great moment for him and like that's part of that sort of first half of the movie that I think kind of works in a lot of ways is is like silly jokes like that or um, the whole scene where he comes to the rock club while uh, the cherry bomb while cherry bomb is playing and confronts the manager. And you get like this goofy action sequence of a bar fight with a duck. Yeah. I thought that was kind of fun. Um, but but then I also, honestly, I also like the second half of the movie. There's things I like about that. Again, Jeffrey Jones, because he doesn't show up until, which that was another one of those uh, where we have this whole scene going on where she's seducing Howard, right? And she's she's messing with him and all that. And then we're seeing the silhouette of them on the bed and just as Tim Robbins and Jeffrey Jones and his lab assistant or whoever random, random third guy just walk into her apartment without knocking. 
with the the explanation that the door was open, I was like, okay, sure. I guess that's fine. Um, but, and that's when the movie really switched, yeah. right? That's when it flipped it, uh, flipped into the other gear. Now, they got me with the bait and switch there, I will say. Because I thought when they walked in, I thought, okay, he's the bad guy. He's going to take Howard away and they're going to lock him mm-hmm. up and do experiments or something. I mean, he does turn out, quote unquote, to be the bad guy later. Or at least how's the yeah. bad guy. But they really got me there. It's like, oh, he's a good guy who's going to help Howard? That's different. Totally confused me on that one. Yeah, I like the subversion of that expectation there, uh, personally. I think that was great because it, it makes what happens to that character, uh, I think, work a little bit better when... It's not like he's a bad guy and then, oh, we're going to make him worse. No, he was a good person. He was he was like just a normal scientist wanting to help. And that was where also I think my um, – I mentioned earlier about Tim Robbins and how I kind of had this memory that he turned, that he had some kind of a heel turn like three-quarters of the way through the movie and suddenly he's – but no, he was like Phil for the most part is a good guy just misguided and overly zealous and basically – Dr. Uh, Jeffrey Jones's character is the same thing, except that he gets possessed by some weird interdimensional being. And I think that looks like a scorpion thing. Uh, rancor on steroids is what I thought it would was. <laughs> um, but I think the whole thinking he's going to be the bad guy right off is perfect casting because everybody had seen him as the bad guy in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So, and. I think we, everybody thought, oh, well, if he's in this, bam, he's the bad guy. But then they trick you at the beginning and then later turn him into, quote-unquote, him and the bad guy. So I thought that was really perfect casting on their yeah. part. Because if you would have put, I don't know, um, just probably not age-appropriate, but it's the first name that comes to my head. If you cast Walter Matthau in that part, nope, he's the lovable old scientist who's going to help you but not Jeffrey. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, no, Jeffrey Jones definitely has that. And and he's got a, a look about him too. Um, partly that he's very tall, like both him and Tim Rob, Tim Robbins is six foot five and uh, Jeffrey Jones is like six, four, six, four and a half. So they're very tall, imposing people and they both can look very sinister too, which I think helps. Uh, I, and I've seen, I mean, I've seen Tim Robbins, do uh, some amazing work, and this was early in his career, so he hadn't he hadn't quite developed into the kind of Oscar caliber, you know, best actor caliber uh, performances that he would give us later on. Oh, um, I, I and things like Jacob's Ladder and Mystic River and whatnot. Oh, I love him. I know it's not his best performance, but I love him in Bull Durham. Love that movie, and I love him in it. Oh, Bull Durham, so good. Good movie. I just saw that within the last year for the first time. Oh, really? He's amazing. So good. And the movie itself is great. Yeah. I, I, that's a, um, yeah, it's a really good one. So, yeah. But yeah, we, we had no idea what, uh, if you, if you based your thoughts on Tim Robbins off of this movie, um, this is not what I would call a, uh, an Oscar winning performance. But again, he's having fun. He's going for it. Um, and and I appreciate that, especially in a movie like this, which I do think needs that. It needs to be, and 
I will say this about this movie. I think they captured a comic book feel to the movie. Um, I think that there's there they didn't go overly crazy with color, but it's very bright and colorful. Um, there's a lot of neon. There's a lot of you know Howard's wardrobe, um, Leah Thompson's wardrobe, and so I liked that about it. Um, and and I think that uh, now I did read also that the writer of the original comic, um, Steve Gerber. Didn't love the movie, but did say they they did a decent job of kind of trying to capture the the overall tone, even though they changed, you know, things from the comic itself. Um, but I feel like they tried, they did a decent job of getting sort of this comic booky tone to it. It just it's disjointed. Like they really needed to pick one movie or the other, and and honestly, either one could have worked because I think the darker aspects of that third act. Um, with with the dark overlord of the universe uh, character are kind of cool. I, yes, I think um, because one it's thing really creepy. I think one thing that could have really helped this movie is we cut out twenty minutes of it, make it an hour and a half movie, and I think it's a really good movie. Cut out the whole finding a job, working at the sex dungeon play or whatever place, and cut out about half, if not <laughs> the seven, hot tub. Yeah, yeah, half, if not seventy five percent of the diner scene. Cut that out, and just move on. Move on from the plot to the plot, and I think you've got a more streamlined, better-paced movie. That diner scene brought the whole movie to a screeching halt, to the point where I was, oh my gosh, just get on with it. Yes, he turned into a bad guy. Okay, let's just go on. But it just drug on way too long for me. Just like this sentence is where I'm saying right now. <laughs> I'm I'm with you in that the diner scene. I like the diner scene as a concept and a lot of elements of it, but it is far too long. It just kept going, and like there's so many. They could have really cut that down, gotten the people out of there, still had their moment where he he realizes all his powers are there, um, and starts doing all that. Because again, those were practical effects that I thought looked really cool. Mm -hmm. Like I really dug when he waves his hand and all the tables and chairs and plants and everything go over and block the doors and like I love movie stuff like that old school filmmaking but the scene itself just kept on going and going and going and it didn't need to um, and it was almost like they were trying to extend that out to make it seem like the cops were slow and trying to find them because the police end up there later but I don't know um, uh, oh, by the way another uh, actor I wanted to mention is Paul Gilfoyle as the police lieutenant um, <laughs> with some amazing hair. Yeah. Have you, have you ever seen Paul Gilfoyle with hair like that? It was, it, it, it blew my mind because I can only think of him visually the way he looks in CSI and sort of that era, you know, so 10, 15 years after this. Um, but it was like, wow, that's Paul Gilfoyle. Uh, all right, cool. Um, so, um, uh, like to, but yeah, I'm with you. You could have cut this down a little bit. Go ahead. Uh, actor that I saw in the background, I was like, who is that? Then I had to think and think and think. It took me forever to see. Holly Robinson Pete uh, as the guitarist in the band out of randomly nowhere. <laughs> yeah, this was her first film. Um, she, this was the first thing she did. I does she have a second? Mostly recognize her from... 
Uh, I mean, she's still acting today. Oh, well. I actually remember her from uh, Hanging with Mr. Cooper. Hang it, that's exactly what I was going to say. Hanging with Mr. Cooper. Love that show. <laughs> um, but I remember her from that. She was in 21 Jump Street and then in the movie 21 Jump Street as well, playing the same character, so. I've never seen her. Her big of those. ones were Hanging with Mr. Cooper, 21 Jump Street. She did 102 episodes of the original show and then was in the 2012 movie. Uh, and she did, you know, the 101 episodes of Hanging with Mr. Cooper. So those were kind of her two big shows back in that era. Um, but she's kept acting. Uh, she was just recently in The Proud Family, Louder and Prouder. Okay. Is her most recent thing this year as an episode. Um, so, yeah, she's still doing stuff. Um, but that was one of those faces where I like I recognized her face, and I'm like, why do I know who she is? Now, um, see, I recognize the voice. Another one, uh, and he's – Oh, okay. I'm more with voices than I am faces with names. Like I can hear – I can hear like when we watch animated movies, like with my kids, and I'll say, oh, that's yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. My wife's like, Who? And I'm like, I don't know his name, but it's the guy from, you know, that thing. She's like, oh, okay. Then, yeah, she didn't have a clue. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I definitely am able to do that with a lot of voices, too. Um, faces as well. For some reason, I just got that ability. Um, a couple of faces and voices that uh, had small parts in this, too. And I forgot to mention them earlier. Uh, one of, so their band manager's name was Ginger. Um, who I had no idea who he was, but his buddy um, Richie was uh, Richard Edson, and he's a character actor that pops up in a bunch of stuff. He was the one um, with kind of the um, he he's the one that grabs Howard and slings him down the bar. Yeah, I've seen him in like eighties. Uh, I've before. seen him in things like yeah, a lot of stuff like that. Uh, most notably, I remember him. In the Super Mario Brothers movie, he was um, paired up with Fisher Stevens. They were the two idiots in that movie. I know that narrows it down, right? Yeah, yeah. everybody who signed Um, on to be in that movie. And then uh, the one scientist um, who only has like a, not quite a blink and you'll miss it cameo, but he has just a little cameo, is David Pamer. Um, He was the one that's like, wait, that's the duck? That's, you know, that guy? Um, I've seen him in a bunch of stuff too. He's another one of those character actors that just pops up everywhere. Um, so, and then, uh, Thomas Dolby was the bartender. And if you don't know the name Thomas Dolby, you know, at least one song that he recorded because he's the guy that made, she blinded me with science. I don't from the eighties. I don't think I know that song. Kind of surprised. Oh, I, wow. I'm, I'm gonna um, have to look that up tonight. So he was the bartender in the... Yeah. So he was the bartender in the rock club, and he also uh, wrote the songs for the movie. So this, the film score was... Um, oh, there's two people that were involved in the score. John Barry did a lot of the score, but they didn't use all of his music. There was another person who, I can't remember their name, did some uh, additional scoring. But Thomas Dolby wrote the songs, like for Cherry Bomb, and um, some of the you know those eighties kind of pop songs that would play. Yeah, I don't know who did um, the actual music for, it, but that was but, really uh, well then, done. 
for Cherry Bomb. Leah Thompson did the vocals. Really? That was I mean, that was Leah Thompson singing. Oh wow! Yeah, girls got some pipes, but the the songs were you know pretty toe tapping, nice songs too. I don't know who who the band. I don't know if that was the actual band or I don't. I doubt it, but they were sounded pretty good. Oh no, it wasn't. Uh, yeah, it was. So Tom, um, Thomas Dolby wrote it, uh, and actually, according to what I saw, the Howard the Duck song at the end was co-written by George Clinton. That makes uh, and sense. Thomas Dolby. But Dolby, yeah, Dolby did, um, wrote the songs, and I think he recorded them with probably studio musicians. But uh, Leah Thompson did the vocals, and then she wasn't sure during filming if they were going to keep them or not, and I guess the studio wasn't sure either, but they ended up keeping them. And I that was one of my things. I'm like, she's really good. She's got a, got a hell of an actress. Or a hell of a voice on her. Yeah, that was really well um, done. So I thought that was that was really neat. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, well, um, and since you mentioned the score, so yeah, since you mentioned the score, I really did write something down about this. I hated the score; it was awful. I'm a music guy, and I pay attention to the scores a lot. This was god awful, and there was one part that stood out to me the like a lot. They're like going through this, just establishing shot throughout the city at night, and there's just this weird flute playing, and I'm thinking, why it. <laughs> Totally has nothing to do with anything. It was just out of place. Brought me out of the movie like quickly, and I had to write that down so bad that to me, uh, I can see that it felt like they were trying to evoke like an old noir in a way, because there was parts of the soundtrack that felt very old fashioned. So I think maybe that's what they were trying to do. But that was part of why. John Barry's music didn't get fully used and why they re-recorded some of it um, for others like action sequences and stuff uh, because his they they didn't like his music um, so because I don't think the score is anything special in this the music the the songs that to, that Dolby did and that they recorded cherry bomb and all that I thought those were really catchy but the score itself I'm kind of with you in that it's it's a little boring so yeah. Um, let's see. Oh, a couple of other names. Uh, so we talked about, um, uh, Chip, um, is it Chip? Yeah. Chip Zine, who did, uh, the voice of Howard and how Robin Williams was almost the voice or actually was for a week. Um, if you're familiar with voice actors, do you know who Rob Paulson or Townsend Coleman are? Uh, what names sound familiar? Uh, what are we going to do tonight? (laughs) The same thing we do every night. <laughs> so Rob Paulson, yes. Oh yeah, know that one. The other yep. one. Yep, Rob Paulson is Pinky. And what was the other one? Uh, so Townsend Coleman, Townsend Coleman was uh, originally, or he was the voice of Michelangelo uh, in the eighties um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, that where Rob Paulson was Raphael. Okay. So yep. they had both auditioned for Howard as well, which would have been right before they started doing, because I think. TMNT started in like 87, I feel like. So, so when right around that time too, I could see either, I could honestly have seen either one of them doing that voice. I think they would have been great. I, yeah. I, um, Paulson may have been a little too wacky. I don't know. Maybe. Raphael, I think, would have been, if I'm just going off their, you know, that, he could have been, you know, the salty, Wisecracker, I think that might have worked. 
Maybe. I don't I know. I think, too, it depends on, on what type of tone they go for again. That's, so, you know, it's it's hard to say. Like, That's true. If they go more of that adult humor uh, route and really lean into that stuff. Because, like, again, you brought up the, the – I love how you call it the sex dungeon, like the hot tub place that he worked. Yeah. That he got the job for. Because, again – there's that whole scene where he has he goes to the unemployment office. Like, you got to suspend your disbelief with this movie because what's his first thought? I got to get a job. So he just goes to the unemployment office and ends up with the the one the woman working there who's like I deal with all the hard cases, all the all the slackers that don't want to work. You think you look you can you can put on this like lady, you're talking to a duck. You do realize this, right? And she just whatever and gets him a job anyway um which is like that i think could have made for a really funny movie if they had leaned into that kind of stuff yeah. um but they didn't so we end up getting kind of this disjointed thing that we got yeah and not to beat a dead duck if we take that whole part of the movie out does anything change nope nope not one nope not a damn thing nope just He's walking the streets, and that's when he meets what's her face. We're good. I yeah. I don't know why that was still left in there, other than to make it an hour and fifty minutes. Yeah, and I do think an hour an hour fifty is too long for this, for sure. Um, regardless of whether you have the tonal shifts or not, I think an hour fifty is just too long. Um, to get something like this going. And it's tough because at the same time, you're like, yeah, but you got to tell, well, you don't need an origin story. Like the comics didn't have an origin story. He just is on earth and you could do that. If you're going to have people reacting the way that they were to him, which for the most part was kind of whatever, but then you'd get the occasional person that would freak out. Like the people on the bus, when he's riding the bus and he gets up to get off the bus and everybody's freaking out that the duck is walking past them. But then, like, they're laughing at him. So I couldn't figure out what they were going for with that scene. Yep. But, you know, if you're going to have it where people aren't going to, there's no freak out and there's no, like, police involved and the government and all of that trying to dissect him, then just do away with kind of trying to tell this origin of him trying to find a job and just go with it. Yep. Or lean into that more. Lean into more of the fish out of water. Make that your story. I also think we could have took out about um, half of the chase scene. I thought that got a little old. Yeah. Yeah, that um, that was one of the things. So I mentioned at the top of the show that initially they wanted to make this an animated film. Um, and when Universal got involved, which this was a funny story. I don't know how true this is or not. But supposedly, Universal got involved with this because the guy running the studio at the time, Sid Sheinberg, had passed up on working with George Lucas in the past. And so he decided that the next time Lucas came about, he was going to say yes and, and work with him. Um, I don't know how true it is because there's also been reports that Sid, Sid uh, said that uh, when he was first approached about the movie, George Lucas wasn't involved yet. So who knows? But I just find that funny that he had a chance to work with him on something like Star Wars and passed on it. And then a few years later, the same guy comes back at him with Howard the Duck and it becomes one of the biggest flops of all time. So yeah. that kind of made me chuckle. But they wanted to do it as this summer uh, summer movie. 
So live action, um, and they gave it a actually pretty healthy budget. You know what the budget was for this movie? It was like forty six million, thirty seven million dollars. Yeah, it was pretty big, especially for nineteen eighty six. That's crazy for eighty six. Yeah, or eighty five, I guess when they filmed it, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah, and unfortunately, it was a bomb because it made about sixteen. Um, it just did not do well. Uh, it released in August and. No one went and saw it. And I think I think part of it is that at the time, a comic book, because this was, depending on who you ask or who you talk to, this is the first Marvel adaptation put to film since like an old Captain America serial. Um, and I say it depends on who you ask because technically I think Red Sonja, the movie is more based on the Red Sonja comic but I'm not positive about that. Um, but they're right around the same time. And so comic book movies were not a thing at that time. But I also think that there's this, there's this idea that animation is for kids and then, you know, something like this is for kids. And so you take a property that's got an anthropomorphic duck and you make it more family friendly. Um, which they sort of kind of tried to do, but not really. Like, again, we've talked about it. Duck boobs and his working at the the that whole scene in the hot tub place is just a bunch of people making out left and right as he's wheeling around. Uh, there the like, there's a whole joke where Leah Thompson pulls a condom out of his wallet. Um, so it's like none of that's family friendly. But yet they didn't lean hard enough into it, I think, to to capture that audience, right? The audience that would want that type of a, a movie. But I don't think movie-going audiences were ready for that at that time, if that makes sense. Yeah, I don't think it would have flown, no pun intended, in 1986. Well, oh, that brings me to my next And I think point. it's just, you know, you, you've said it 10... Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. So yeah. that brings me to the point I've been thinking. Is this... Could we, could this be remade today and be more successful? I think so. Um, and I know there has been talk about it. Actually, Leah Thompson wanted to direct and wanted to work on this. She's apparently pitched Marvel a couple of times about being involved in uh, another Howard the Duck movie. And um, I personally if i were going to do it these days it makes more sense to be either like a f- six episode series or one of something like uh werewolf by night sort of that one off special feature streaming only type thing yeah i don't want this like mcu movie no i'm not saying that at all anybody out there listening land don't right. don't crucify me for that i mean like a one off just either, like you said, small series or just a a small little comedy movie. I mean, it could even be... No, we're not going to... Well, he was still here on Earth. He never did get back. So maybe it's, uh, maybe it's a sequel. I right. don't know. I mean, I could see something being done. There's, there's potential in this movie. They just fumbled the ball every time they got it, it seemed like. Yeah, there's definitely potential there. I mean, there's a reason that Howard the Duck has lasted in the comics as long as he has. 
because um, while he's never been like hugely popular, he's been around and he's he's popped up in all sorts of different places. And the MCU has proven that you can do it with Rocket. Rocket Raccoon is essentially uh, Howard 2.0. I mean, he he sort of came out of he's he's very much in that same vein. So we know that that type of character could work in the right situation. Um, so yeah, I'm with you. I think that it could work today. And I think also there's more audiences receptive to, um, something that is adult oriented that isn't, um, that it, that also is based on something silly, like a talking duck. Mm -hmm. So I think that there, plus I would lean a lot more into the satire that they did in the comics as well. Yeah. The comics were very satire heavy and you got to, glimpse of that in the beginning of this movie with the when you're on duck world um and they have like all the the puns on the uh the posters all all the and all the duck related stuff or when she's pulling the money (laughs) when she's pulling the money out of his wallet and it's all like it's george washington but with a duck bill like that kind of stuff i could uh Voldair in my chat room says uh, a what if style animated series would be interesting too. An animated series, I think, with Howard would be really yeah. cool. Yeah, or um, let's just turn it. So yeah, I, let's just. I'm with you. Let's go straight satire and like mix one. Take one hand Howard the Duck, one hand anything Leslie Nielsen was in past like 1980. Put those together and just turn this into an absolute spoof of the MCU starring Howard the Duck. That could be a lot of fun. That would be fun. That could be a lot of fun. So, yeah, um, for sure. I'll call Marvel tomorrow and get that set Um, up. I will say one thing this movie has. All right, good. Get us a pitch meeting. (laughs) Um, One thing this movie has, though, is it's got some clips in it. It's got some audio that's a lot of fun. This movie Um, is quotable. And I love to capture. I will say. It is, isn't it? It is. Um, Yeah. and and I love to capture stuff. One of my favorite things to get in movies is laughs because nine times out of ten, obviously they're they're not real laughter. They're, you know, putting it on for the for the performance to varying degrees of sort of authenticity. Occasionally you do get genuine laughs when you're especially when you're watching a comedy and somebody just makes everybody break. But there are two laughs in this movie that I had to capture because they just for very, very different reasons, uh, were absolutely ridiculous. Um, so I'm going to play a couple of these for you. I got, I got a few clips I want to play. Um, but this first one is Tim Robbins, uh, and you'll know which scene it's from, but this, just this moment and this laugh cracked me up. So there's, here's Tim Robbins. (laughs) Just that, (laughs) that manic laugh when he ran into that room. Oh, and uh, the rest of that line was really good. Where where did I put that? Um, oh, it was so this is when he he first finds Howard, and then he runs he runs out of his whatever lab he's in, runs into the room with all the professors, and immediately tells them like I found it, I found the thing, and they start looking at him like he's weird, and he just reacts with it's nothing, <laughs> it's nothing, never mind, and and runs away. <laughs> And I loved that. I loved that so much. That was when, and it's like the first thing you see with Tim Robbins in the movie. And I'm like, okay, so he, you, you put it perfectly. He understood the assignment. He knew what this movie was. Yeah. Um, go ahead. 
Oh, I was going to say, listening to that and laughing about, you know, that made me laugh there. I think this is a movie that is much better. If you get a group Mm -hmm. of people together and watch this, this is a great movie. But me sitting alone in my studio this morning may have been, had a little bit to do with what I thought about it. Maybe it would have been better if I watched it with the wife last night. (laughs) But, I mean, it's still not a great movie. Don't get me wrong. But it's one of those that I think is better in a group setting. Right. Yes. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, I got a Jeffrey Jones laugh uh, that I have to I have to play because it's too good. Because <laughs> that was like, what is he doing? <laughs> I noticed that. Um, there was... Oh, okay. <laughs> so when we have a couple of scenes with Phil and then we don't see him again for a little while as Howard's, you know, getting a job and doing all that kind of stuff. When Howard goes into the dressing room with the band and Phil shows up and he walks in when he sees Howard and he's already at this point in the movie done the dumb thing where he starts talking a little bit like Donald duck. Um, and Leah Thompson's like, don't, don't do that. Um, so, but when he sees Howard in the dressing room and his reaction and he does and all my my only note on this was what? And he, he reacts to him like this. <laughs> the hell is that? I have It's not a duck noise. <laughs> I, I'm guessing the script just said random noises. <laughs> No, I'm going to play it one more time because it's just, it's too much. I don't know what that is. I really don't. So I I don't know. And then we also had uh, Leah Thompson made a weird noise at one point. It sounded like. And I'm not sure. I think that was towards the end of the movie, uh, but I'm not positive. It definitely was not from the scene where she's trying to seduce Howard. I, would, I can tell you that. Yeah, I think that's when she maybe was tied up on the table. Far. Oh, could be. Um, let's see. This one's called Working. I'm going to play this. Phil. No sex now. I'm working. Right. Obviously, that's the, the response you give. Oh yeah, it's, I can't say that at work. I work by myself. <laughs> well, you can. You can say it to yourself. Well, that's, that's true. Fine. No, I'm not going to judge. Um, and then another Phil. Superpowers. I'm. T- I don't know. I just like the way he said that. I'm telling you, he gets this movie. If everybody just took Tim Robbins' energy to this movie, <laughs> this probably would have won Oscars. I mean, it certainly would have been a lot of fun. Uh, we got a couple Howard the Duck ones. This this was great. The movie was actually like pretty self aware in a couple moments. Um, one of them was uh, Howard gets obviously pulled across the universe and to Earth, and then later on he finds out that they did the like a similar thing to another creature. And his reaction is just small universe, which is kind of funny because like everything happens to happen on Earth. Um, so I, I liked that reaction. Small universe. It's amazing how all this happens here. Yeah. Um, 
Howard. Uh, <laughs> props to Howard uh, for for going this route when he's like, I'm backed into a corner. I got to get out of this. How do I do it? And he threatens to bite the guy's face and then uh, says, Space rabies. So <laughs> if you're going to threaten, threaten with something good. Space rabies is a good threat. And I love the guy. I thought I saw that on the news. <laughs> That's my favorite part of that. I was thinking, I was waiting for I heard something about that on the news. I was waiting for somebody to go, uh, that, that duck's full of crap. But nope, I saw it on the news and everybody's like, oh my God, we believe this guy. Yeah, he's believable. Space rabies. Um, and then here's Jeffrey Jones and Howard the Duck uh, back and forth. Any questions? Yeah. Where are my pants? It's a, it's a wonderful non sequitur. Man, well, um, I mean, how many... T- an important question, though. Where where were his pants? How many mornings have I had to wake up and ask that one? <laughs> Pretty much. Um, here was Paul Guilfoyle. I just had... Paul Guilfoyle had to deliver this line. I want that duck. Dead or alive. And he had to do it with such conviction, too. Um, and there was some of that score you were talking about that wasn't very good. Yeah. Because, like, that's – tell me that doesn't sound like it's, like, Saturday afternoon television music playing in the background of this scene. It's supposed to be, like, this intense chase scene. I want that duck. Dead or alive. It so. made no sense. <laughs> Just made me laugh. Whatsoever to be in like, that scene. <laughs> I mean, that should have been, like – Nineteen uh, thirties detective music, right there, or something, but just not that. Yeah, no, no, not that. Um, but hey, props to Paul Guilfoyle for for getting into that role, and he using his limited screen time. Uh, let's see, this one's just oh, uh, so here's some Jeffrey Jones doing that voice, which again, this is mostly him uh, affecting that voice in the. Second half of the movie. Smog inspection. <laughs> Smog inspection. Um, or when somebody said something to him in his reaction, I th- think this was in the diner, maybe? Yeah, shut up. <laughs> that sounds like Bugs Bunny right there. Yeah. This- you can't tell me that doesn't sound like Bugs Bunny. Yeah. Back to the smog inspection part, just for a second. How stupid was that cop sitting there? Like, well, turn your car off. You can't see that the truck 40 feet from you is ramming every other car. Really? That unobservant? Yeah. My other question, but it's, and and maybe this is true and I've just never seen one, but do they do fo- smog inspections in Ohio? Because uh, I didn't think they did. I've never had one. In- I've never seen one in Michigan. I've driven through. I've never had to go through one. So, so I don't. I. But yeah, yeah. Now, like California, I get. I mean, they should. So that that felt like a scene that was written by somebody who's never been to Ohio. Lucky person. Lucky. <laughs> Agreed. Um, but yeah, you're you're right. Like how the cop didn't notice the the semi truck slam into somebody five cars back. I mean, eighties um, trope. Cops is are just stupid. so silly. 
Yeah, it's true. I will say, though, the effects for a lot of those chases were good. Whether it was the stunt work with the drivers or um, or any of that, or just the, the pyrotechnics of that scene where he blows up the car at the front and it does the chain reaction and blows all the cars up in front of him and then he can drive off. Um, I thought it looked good. Yeah. So they, they definitely put their money into this movie. Like this, That's one thing I will say. This movie does not look cheap. No, it doesn't. At all. Like they put money into it. They made it look good. Yeah. It yeah, everything looks good. The the whole set on the the final set where the like I guess you want to call it the battle between Howard versus the Overlord is wonderfully done. But mm-hmm. just the whole everything else of this movie not everything else, but the story and some of the acting just brings it down. But yeah, they spent their money and used every penny of it, it seems. Yeah. And one last audio clip, and it's one more Jeffrey Jones. And this is another this is another one of those where the movie's slightly self-aware. <laughs> He's my favorite duck. You hardly know him. I love that. Because it's true. She hardly knows Howard. Yep. She's she's known him for like a couple of days. And that cracked me up. I I lost it at that point because I'm like, that's perfectly brought up. Like <laughs> Oh my gosh. It's like you hardly know him. I just realized somebody watched this movie and got the whole plot for Frozen, the beginning. You can't marry somebody you just <laughs> met. So Frozen came from Howard the Duck. You're, you're oh. here, folks. There we go. We have made the connection. Frozen came from Howard the Duck. I mean, like I said, is it a good movie? No, but it's watchable. And I think that there's there are moments in it. You put it perfectly when you said that it's the type of movie you watch with friends. Yep. And I'm with that 100%. Like, sitting down and watching it by yourself, eh, unless you're a crazy person like I am, you're not going to find a whole lot in this. But if you sit down and watch it with some friends and knowing what it is, I mean, you're watching a movie called Howard the Duck. Um, it's a, it's, it could be a good time. Because, again, it doesn't look cheap. It's got some catchy songs in it. Uh, it's got some fun action sequence and set pieces. I did like the the set piece with the the uh, ultralight plane uh, glider that they flew around because that was a real. They actually had to uh, get Tim Robbins and uh, apparently Ed Gale to fly that thing for some of those shots. Oh wow, that's impressive! I- so I thought that was kind of cool. Hmm. Yeah. That's really um, impressive. So, you know, yeah. I mean, there's there's money put into this movie. It just it felt a little disjointed. Um, it definitely could have used uh, a couple of revisions to the script and to have more consistency in the story that they were trying to tell. Um, and some of that comes down to you had screenwriters that knew how to write. I mean, again, these people had written um, American Graffiti, uh, Indiana Jones, stuff like that, but maybe this wasn't quite the material for them or they just needed a little little more time to polish it. And direction, mediocre. Um, I, don't think, I don't think he was a terrible director, but I also don't think he did the movie any favors in his direction. So I kind of want to take this um, and cut it into an hour, cut it down to an hour and a half 
and see if it's actually better. I I really really It'll be a fun experiment. I really do think it's I mean a decent movie at an hour and a half. I really do. All of its problems, I think it's a decent movie at an hour and a half. But hour and 50 minutes way too long. Well, it's just like that uh you know, the diner scene drags on, drags on, and drags on. And go into this movie suspending your disbelief. Don't don't lo- try to logic out the movie because you're just going to spend the whole time doing that and it's not going to be any fun. Have fun with the movie. Like, realize that, that that explosion at the end, yes, they're all dead from that explosion. There's no way they survived that because it was too big in a contained area. But that's fine, whatever. They, they, they can live and go on and that's that's all well and good. Uh, just enjoy the silliness of a movie with a three-foot-tall walking, talking duck that can't fly and can't swim. Yeah. Like the two things that ducks do, they fly and they swim, and Howard can't do either one. Earth ducks. So. <laughs> yes. I also wouldn't mind seeing uh, if they ever did um, revisit Howard the Duck, spending some time on Duck World. Yes. I think would be kind of interesting. I wouldn't want to spend a ton of time there, but I would want a little bit. There's your sequel. He gets to go home, but Leah Thompson goes with him. (laughs) Hey, there you go. Did you notice uh, that the planet was egg-shaped? Yes, I did, and that was was a nice touch. (laughs) I was like, all right, all right. I see you, movie. I see you. Um, Well, Drew, this has been fun. This was a. I, I'm glad I got to show you this movie. I know you didn't love it, but at the same time, it gave us some stuff to talk about. And I think it's it's always great to to have a conversation with somebody who sees something for the first time and kind of get out of you sort of what you did appreciate about it and also what you didn't like about it. So it it makes for fun conversation. Um, so I'm really glad we got to do this. And I'm really glad you got to finally see this movie all the way through. Oh, I've had more fun. Now you can say you've seen Duck Boobs. Yep, I've had more fun. Oh, yeah. I've had more fun talking about it than watching it. I will admit that. But like like I've said a few times, (laughs) somewhere buried in all this, there is a decent movie that I think can be made. If I just think it, Mm -hmm. I'll say it for probably the third time, edit it down to an hour and a half. It is a good movie that I would watch again. Yeah, I would too. Also, I want to go eat at that diner, Roma's Cajun Sushi. Yes, I meant to mention that Cajun just Sushi. Taking... But sushi was covering something up, so I'm kind of wondering with a name like what was under it. <laughs> I was yeah, I am too. And it's named Roma's, so it's like Italian, Cajun, and sushi. All right, those are three very different things. Um, but I'm here for it. I'll give it a shot. Uh, so Drew, let people know you do a couple of shows. I was just on one, uh, and I'm coming back on another one here soon. What are, what, what shows do you do and where can people find them? All right. Well, you were just on my flagship, I guess I should say not really flagship, but my first show, the Attitude Era Wrestling Review Podcast, where we go back and me and my co-host Arnold are reviewing the Attitude Era from beginning to as far as I guess we'll take it all the way into Ruthless Aggression and seeing, is it just as good as everybody remembers or have we, have we romanticized everything? Guess what we have. And we watch every Nitro, Raw, we'll be soon getting into Thunder and SmackDown. 
and we watch all the pay-per-views. We have guests on, some of them who are wrestling fans, and some of them who have never watched a second of it before, and we get to see it through their eyes. And you can find that on all your major streaming platforms. Very cool. Uh, we're on Twitter. It's at AEWRpod. And you can come and please interact with us and tell us what you think. And as for my other show, which you'll be on, I believe, maybe... Yeah, and I was just on there. Oh, yeah, you were just on there. I think that episode released a few days ago. We watched um, uh, Nitro, I believe, if I remember uh, Raw. Raw. We watched some WWF. That's right. That was fun. That was it was Raw. fun going back and, and checking that out. Definitely. And my other show. And the other one, the other show is. Yep, that you'll be on, I think, either the next week or the week after is called Across the Stars. We are a chronologic journey through the Star Wars universe. We are going through and watching everything Star Wars on screen in absolute timeline order, starting with, you know, of course, the Phantom Menace. And we're currently in the, we're just about to finish up the first season of Clone Wars, which if you don't know, Clone Wars is not chronological, it is an anthology and skips all over the place. So one episode we might be doing season one, episode four, the next one we might be doing season two, episode, or season three, episode two, who knows? It's all over the place, but you can find that um, across the stars or the blue one because there's another one, long story, but we're the blue one, the good one, the only one still active, actually. But you can also find us on Twitter at Across Stars Pods. Just take out the the, Across Stars Pod. Excellent. I'm looking forward to that, because uh, I'm a big Star Wars fan as well. So it's always fun to, to get to geek out on Star Wars stuff and Clone Wars have watched uh but it's the least watched uh the anime the the clone wars rebels stuff is the least watched star wars for me so it's cool to have uh an excuse to finally just sit my butt down and watch more of it and absorb more and then talk about it so i can't wait for that that's gonna be great oh yeah we have a lot of fun over there so definitely check those out excellent if you like star wars across the stars and if you like uh pro wrestling at all, or just curious about, and you know, twenty five years ago, uh, and what pro wrestling was like back then. Um, Attitude Era Wrestling Review. Uh, it's definitely a lot of fun. That was a trip down memory lane. I can remember, you know, sitting with friends and watching Monday Night Raw and uh, and stuff like that uh, in that era. So that was fun. Um, so this show. I record Sunday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern time at twitch.tv slash TV's Travis. You can watch the live stream. Show comes out in podcast form anywhere you get your podcasts on Wednesdays. And uh, you can get that at tvstravis.com or any podcasting platform. If you do um, have the time to leave a rating and review on like Apple Podcasts, it does make the show more discoverable. Um, and, uh, it helps to just, um, it just helps the show. I appreciate that. And you can also, uh, buy, uh, at tvstravis.com. There are links to buy merchandise as well as be a patron of this show for as little as a dollar an episode, uh, if you want to do that. So definitely check that out. tvstravis.com is the place to find anything. There's going to be some new content going up on there shortly. Um, there's going to be some new patron exclusive content coming out uh, fairly soon as well. So uh, keep an eye out for that if you are a patron. And if you're not and you want to be, 
Well, you can go to patreon.com slash W-Y-H-S and do that. But Drew, thank you so much for being here this week. This was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. Even though I still don't like the movie, but I'm glad to come on because it was a lot of fun. <laughs> well, good. It, it, I'll take one of the, uh, I'll take, you know, I'll take half of that, right? As, as long as we had fun. That's the important oh, part. Oh, absolutely. We had fun. It was the friends we made along the way. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, now, next week, next Sunday, I am not recording. I am recording a few days later, but my next movie is going to be a fun one. Um, I have found somebody uh, by the name of Tom Merritt who has never seen Titanic. So we're going to talk about that one, um, and I can't wait because it's going to be a fun conversation. So definitely be ready to check that out. That will be on the next episode of Wait You Haven't Seen. Until then... Drew, thank you so much for being here. Um, this was a ton of fun, and uh, we'll have to do it again sometime. Yep. Spoiler alert, next week the ship sinks. <laughs> Until next week, and Titanic. For Drew, this is TV's Travis signing off saying, be excellent to each other. Sorry I missed the show. I came to watch you undress, though, and uh, brought a pizza. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>